Hey friends, and welcome to The Messy Table, which is an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's constantly at work in our mess. I'm Jen Jewell, and I get to lock arms with some incredible women while hosting this conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a brand new episode every other Tuesday. We're also partnered with my church, Life Church, and our women's ministry. But way more than one specific church or one physical location, we are all about what Jesus refers to as the church, his empowered body of believers who are literally all over the globe. We truly believe we can do infinitely more together than apart. So no matter where you are, no matter where you're coming from, no matter your story or even current situation, you are wanted and welcome, and we're so glad you're here. Well, if you've taken a good look around lately, you already know we are living in a world that is rapidly increasing in all things stress, anxiety, depression, and fear. A world where busyness is worn like a crown of honor, where being overwhelmed and overextended has unfortunately become the norm, where it seems there's no realistic probability for busting out of this never-ending hamster wheel. But we don't have to live like this. You don't have to live like this. Guys, at one point or another, we've probably all asked ourselves, how do I not only survive, but thrive? How can I live the kind of life God intended for me to live? What does sustained health actually look like? And what everyday rhythms can I put into place so that I can focus on what matters most? In Mark 12, Jesus summarizes the most important thing of all. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Basically, God Himself takes a holistic approach in how we are to love Him and others. But we can't even begin to know how to do that or how to get to a healthy, sustainable place ourselves without first looking to Him. Well, during our last episode, Molly Allen courageously shared her story of choosing life, even when things got overwhelmingly dark. So if you've battled any kind of depression, especially that which has turned into suicidal thoughts, please, after soaking in this episode, go back and listen to the previous one. And in keeping with the theme of mental health, because we do believe it's that important, I am thrilled to introduce you to my guest for today, the darling and passionate Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca is a wife, mom, writer, and an advocate for freedom, adoption, and for those like her oldest and youngest kiddos with Down syndrome. Since overcoming her own battle with anxiety and depression, she's chosen to share her journey publicly so that others might also be free. Now she's the best-selling author of You Are Free and Free Fall to Fly, as well as the co-founder of Q Ideas with her husband, Gabe. Together, they just launched a podcast called Rhythms for Life, and she just wrote a book called Rhythms of Renewal, Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. I mean, come on, who doesn't want that? As you know, we love hearing stories of redemption here at The Messy Table, but it's an added bonus when someone like Rebecca puts tools in our hands that equip us to learn from Jesus and thrive right where we are. Well, a little behind the scenes peek, you might wonder what a podcast recording looks like. Sometimes I get to have guests into my home around my actual table, and sometimes we squeeze in a Skype call between meetings and school pickup, which is exactly what we did for this little chat. Guys, you're going to love this conversation, so grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join me for a chat with Rebecca. 
Well, hey, Rebecca, welcome to The Messy Table. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. So excited you're here. So we actually met at an IF Lead, which is an extension of IF Gathering, a few years back. And it was really cool because we had just taken a minute to pray for someone around us. And you actually came over and prayed down heaven over me. And it was such a meaningful surprise because you've been a trusted voice in my life for so long. And I just love your books and your story. And so it's kind of coming full circle. I love it. I love those spontaneous moments where you just feel prompted to go to someone and God is so kind to do that for us to just kind of put us where we're supposed to be because he has something to deposit it and he just wants to use whatever means necessary. So I'm glad that I got to be that for you in that moment because I didn't think of all the people who've done that for me. Mm. And it's just something you take away and you remember. Yeah. Well, and thank you for being obedient. And you're being obedient in so many ways. We're going to talk about your book and podcast and all these different things. But really, it's a step of faith and obedience just as regular women in the world who are following Jesus. So thank you for doing that and leading the way. And for those who might not know already who you are, would you just give us a little peek into your world? and what you're all about. Yes, absolutely. Well, my roles uh, start there. Uh, I've been a wife for almost 22 years in December. My husband, Gabe, and a mom of four kids now of Cade, who's 18, Pierce, 16, Kennedy, 14, and now Joy is six. Got her home from China nine months ago. So she started kindergarten like recently. So we're all, (laughs) we're all in a new season, but my work, my vocational work is writing and then writing kind of segued into teaching. And I didn't think I would do either of those two things, but all that kind of happened within the last seven years, nine years it began, but my first book came out seven years ago. And so it's just been kind of a wild ride and yet so cool because God has used this last decade in particular to just make himself so loud to me, uh, help me to feel so known by him. And so I accepted Christ at a young age. I was five, but it's really been in this last season that I've just come to know him, like want to, obviously we never fully know the mystery of God, but just come to understand his nature and his character through his word and through just the way he demonstrates himself by his power, through his spirit, all of that. So that's kind of who I am. Mm, Yeah. I love that. Yeah. God's so big and mysterious, but he's also so loving and intimate and gets right up in our face. And I'm I'm grateful for that. And your daughter, Joy, I want to talk a little bit more about this in a little bit, but she is literally the cutest bundle of joy I think I've ever seen. Thank you. She is. She's a joy bomb that just went off in our home. Her (laughs) in that little red one shoulder swimsuit. I could not handle. (laughs) Seriously. We were in Sicily this summer. We we thought it'd be really smart to take four kids across eight countries without a stroller. Oh, Uh, so you were the stroller. Yes, I was. All four of us were me, Gabe, and basically Pierce and Kennedy were the stroller. We just took turns and it was great. But the point is we were in Sicily one day and there was this little Benetton there because Benetton's like a big store in Europe. And they had that swimsuit for her size and my size. I was like, stop it already. Oh, so you had a matching one. <laughs> well, I didn't get it because it kind of shows more of the hiney than is appropriate. But for her, it doesn't really matter. She's <laughs> too cute. But for me, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. I got a navy one that's like it. But um, from J. Crew, that was a little more, you know, Mm-hmm. A little, <laughs> little more coverage. Keep the cheeks in a little more. Exactly. That this is information you did not ask for. In <laughs> we like too but, much information here. So, but Joy's red swimsuit just kind of—I feel like it was like sisterhood of the traveling swimsuit. Like that whole trip was just. <laughs> 
I'm going to wear my red swimsuit in this country or that country. It was really fun. (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, you are no stranger to mess. And I know it can be difficult to pack your life story into a nutshell. That's really unfair. But if you would give us some backstory on some of the messes that you have faced. Yeah, I would say there's been three. I mean, a lot of messes growing up. I mean, we all just stumble our way into healing and freedom. And I think when we're real young, we haven't learned to be afraid yet. So I had a pretty wonderful childhood in general. Um, I was curious. I was called Becca Book as a kid. I didn't have TV until I was in eighth grade. So I just read all 62 Nancy Drew books in fourth grade. And I learned about life through the power of the story. I really thought books were portals to other worlds. It stirred my imagination and creativity, which I now think helps a lot in writing. But at the time, I just, you know, my parents were school teachers. My dad was a pastor before I was born, but then they were Christian school teachers. And, you know, I just learned piano and trumpet and swam at the community pool. It was like, you know, <laughs> like all the things. It wasn't until high school that I started taking on more leadership roles. I was drum major the last two years and student council, just whatever. I was a firstborn. So I tended to kind of be attracted to kind of excelling. And I, but looking back, I do think there was a little bit of trying to prove myself, mm-hmm. um, outside of the home because my parents kind of had a reputation of being, you know, educators and, you know, with it. And so I kind of wanted to represent them well. And I did grow up in a pretty strict environment. I do think going to college, I kind of had to make my faith my own. Mm-hmm. I met my husband there, got married. And then three years in, our firstborn has Down syndrome. We find out six hours after he's born Mm. that he has syndrome. So that was the first like catalytic moment in my life that everything shifted. Um, Up until that point, like, yes, I did go 15 hours away to college and started in a new town, but Cade's life was just such a trajectory shift Mm. um, that it wound up like shaping our vocational call for the next 30 years. We're 15 years in. Um, It wound up shaping the way I see God and coming to know him more wound up changing my, the fullness of my view of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And even that grief that first year, not grief of Cade, because we had to fight for his life. It was failure to thrive there for the first week in the NICU. But once he came through that, it was more just death of, a, of what I imagined, mm-hmm. my future, the predictability of what I thought I could control. And I think it was a grace to have happened as early as it did because surrender became part of my vocabulary because it had to. And so nine years later, we moved to New York City and we take our kids with us to that. And that was because of the work we were doing was so much with engaging thoughtful leaders on the front lines of culture mm-hmm. um, with people of faith and arts and media and government and policy, et cetera. And so four months into my time there, I have my first panic attack and that develops into basically panic disorder and anxiety, chronic anxiety over the next year and a half. And then even there, the Lord got loud and met me in that place of frailty and I began a healing journey. So that was number two. That was like mess number one, mess number two. Mm -hmm. And then from that, I started to write and share and talk about mental health and the church in particular. And that kind of propelled more teaching or speaking or whatever. And then I would say this third mess. And I I guess the mess for me that uh, is when we said yes to adopting joy 18 months ago, because at that point, I thought we had things reined back in. Um, and then yet the Lord's like, no, 
I'm going to ask for surrender yet again. I'm going to ask for you to push all the chips back into the middle of the table yet again. And I remember thinking, does this mean I quit my work, quit writing or teaching? And all I got back from God was, do you trust me? Mm. There was no promise of like, no, yeah, you'll still get to do all the things that you love right now that you finally feel freedom to do because your kids are older. It was like, no, I'm not going to answer those questions, but I am going to draw you close and you're going to be with me. I'm going to be with you. And I need that to be enough for you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And um, I, it really did feel like a laying down everything again. And so this, this last nine months of this year, I really professionally benched myself. And I do remember saying a couple of times, like I could quit everything, but God didn't have that in store because I had a book committed to contract to come out this fall. And had it not happened, I think I would have probably sidelined even longer, but I tend to even live in the extremes out of fear, which is becomes control. Like I'll either do everything or I'll do nothing mm. because that's still me grasping for control. And God's like, no, you're actually going to need to like sit in both spaces. Yes. Present these first nine months, be there for joy. And then when she goes to kindergarten, I actually need you to rally and steward the work that I have put before you well. Mm. And so that's where I'm at right now. Um, but the mess in general to me equates to surrender. Yes. The mess always makes me surrender. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. I can just imagine how many people are listening right now because I know as I'm listening, I can think of scenarios in my own life where I want answers to these questions. But instead, like you're saying, God simply asks us to trust him. And sometimes we don't like that answer because we want a more detailed agenda of what his plan is. That's yeah, we're not like, always how we get it. We're like, how long, though, will we have to trust you? Yes. We still want these qualifiers there because, again... We need those because we don't trust. It's like, I'll, I'll trust you to A, but if you're going to ask me to trust you to B or C or D, like, I don't know if I have that mm -hmm. because I'm not sure if you're good on B or C or D. You're mm -hmm. good for it. And so I've had to get back to go, I don't even want to know. I don't want to know what's around the bend. I'll say yes to what you put right in front of me and trust your discernment on which door I go through. But in general, don't show me too much because it's actually not that helpful. Like mm. it's hard for me to live surrendered if I have a three-year plan right. or even like a two-year plan. I need like <laughs> six to eight month kind of plan. Yeah. I mean, I know dates like yeah. a year from now, but I don't want to know anything else about that. That's around. an interesting point though. It really is. And to kind of go back and dig a little deeper into both of those stories or all of those stories. And I know we don't have an unending amount of time, but going back to that hospital room when Cade was born and just for the record, I have the cutest five-year-old nephew who is one of the lucky ones, but they didn't know either before. And so I've been in that room and it is hard news to hear. And he is the greatest blessing in the world. But at that moment, and one thing my sister-in-law will say is that a dream died. And that doesn't mean that an equally amazing dream wasn't birthed as well. But at that moment, right. there was a dream. And I think however you said it. Well, something died in me that day, the controlled plan for my the plan. life. Yeah. And something was born instead. Right. Um, it's just this idea of an exchange. And I'll be honest, looking back, it really was a redemptive exchange. I got to know more of God because of what God had in store for me. There were lessons I needed to learn that needed to go through being a mom of Cade um, for me to learn some of those things. But at the time, I wouldn't have saw that as an even exchange. I saw it as a loss because I still had to lay down my will, not my will, but your will. And so 
that surrender piece, I think, is so pivotal for life change. It's so pivotal for our walk and our trust. It's so pivotal for our dependency, ultimately. And I think one thing I've learned the hard way is that when our activities end, his begin. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about abiding or the communal life with God, um, we often think we still have to kind of help him with that pushing that wind behind things, Mm -hmm. right? We're like, okay, God, like we're walking arm in arm, but I'm going to just make sure that I'm keeping up and maybe like, (laughs) like a step ahead, just because I don't want to fall behind. And he's like, no, when, when your activities, and this is an Andrew Murray quote from his book, Abiding with Christ, it changed my life five years ago, but he just said it came out in 19 or 1890. Yeah. I love his waiting on God too. It's really good. Yeah. It's all good. But he just says the abiding life is when our activities and his begins. And so it's almost like he's saying, I really, even with panic disorder, nine years later, whether it was Kate or panic is like, um, the old Rebecca, even the one that got to New York, the old Rebecca would have forged through like a block deep of people. She would have ran onto an elevator or ran onto a subway. She would have hurried and hustled her way around Manhattan, not even thinking twice, but that Rebecca couldn't actually do, she couldn't even step foot on a subway. Mm -hmm. And so getting to the end of myself yet again, allowed him to begin. Mm. It, it was almost like he was saying, I, when I said, I'm done living the life that I've ordained, that I've just projected. I, it's like weird that I had to say that again. I said it with Cade. I said it again in New York because God's just like, there's more I have for you, but I actually can't interject those things until you stop. <laughs> mm. And sometimes we see that stop, like that hard stop as punishment, mm-hmm. right? We're like, where are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Like he's abandoned us and how dare he? And, um, we feel pain. And my, my mother-in-law who's walked through stage three, um, ovarian cancer and is in remission and now just still walking through it again. She told me about a year ago, she says, Rebecca, nothing you're walking through hasn't been sifted through God's hand. Mm. There is this understanding that yes, there's brokenness from the fall and sin in the world. But God is saying, I'm with you and I'm going to be near you. And there are things that are going to be hard that I'm going to turn for good. And it was like the way I start this new book, the lesson I learned when I finally did have a panic attack six years later, it was as a reminder. He says, I don't promise fear won't come knocking, but I always promise a way of escape. Mm. And so I think what it means to me is like, we don't just arrive. We don't, (laughs) this pinnacle of faith to where we're like, Oh, I we're cool. God and I are cool. We have like all the sanctification that needs to happen. (laughs) Now we can just polish our halos. Yes, we could. I mean, if that's going to be like, just bring us home. I mean, if we've got no more learning, we might as well just sit at your feet and worship. Right. And so I think, um, I think it was a reminder, like, yes, I need the every hour and I don't ever want to get to a place where I don't feel like that. Yeah, that's so good. I think it's also an important conversation about God's sovereignty because I think a lot of people peg anything bad that happens on the enemy. And yes, we do live in a fallen and broken world and the enemy is real. But like you said, and like your mother-in-law said, nothing can happen that isn't sifted through his hand. Like Whether, whether he causes or, or allows, allows, right? Yes. That's like a big theological debate. Yes. yes. Um, I personally believe every good gift is from the Father. So things that are broken... I don't necessarily think they are 
a gift from the father, but I do think he doesn't Mm -hmm. withhold some things that are just natural consequences. Mm -hmm. There are wages of sin and death that just happen. Um, and he, like, we, we don't know how those things fully play out, but he'll use them and he already is in the future. He's already paving a way even before we get there. Yeah. And I remember that first year of Kate's life, I kept saying to a friend, I'm praying that Kate will be whole. And she said, well, maybe your version of wholeness and God's look different. Wow. Yeah. Right. That'll shut you down. And I just, <laughs> yeah. I was like, preach. And yeah, that's a good friend that. though. It was, um, she's been a lifelong friend since I was five. And I just remind her of that statement every once in a while, maybe your version of wholeness and God's look different. Mm-hmm. And it just helps me just stay in that surrendered place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we didn't get to go a whole lot into your story as far as with stress and anxiety and fear and depression and all of that. People just have to read your books and listen to your podcast. Yeah. And we're not just here trying to promote a book, but the truth is the books and the podcasts that you're putting out are real and raw tools. It's an overflow of your heart and what you have learned and what you want other people to know and learn as well. And they're based on biblical truths. So tell us a little bit about this book coming out on October 1st. Give us a little peek into what it's all about and what your motivation was for writing it. Sure. So when we got to New York nine years ago, within four months, I had my first panic attack. And that continued on planes, trains, elevators, subways, and crowds. And it lasted for over a year, um, full stop, like all the time. And about Uh, around that time, I just remember having girlfriends I was meeting with every week and they were praying for me. And then one night I just cried out for rescue. And in the middle of the night, I just felt the peace of God just flood me in a new way. And it was the first time I came out of a panic attack without having to escape. Cause for me, it was rooted out of claustrophobia. There's a lot of different things. Like when you think of stress, anxiety, and panic disorder on a continuum, a lot of people feel stress, right? You just feel stressed because you have too many things going on in your life. You're always busy. And then all of a sudden, chronic stress is when that that always busy becomes so perpetual over years that it, you feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Like the simple things like the laundry or the dishes or just the schedule or me, I, every time I would open iCal, I would start like shallow breathing because <laughs> it was just like cramming mm-hmm. too much. Just overwhelming. And there, yeah, there was no margin there to breathe. And so, um, what happens at that point is that your body, I think God in his mercy made our body to autocorrect to all of a sudden start acting out. And so anxiety is when that stress becomes physical. Um, you start to see physical uh, reactions to that stress. So like anxiety is a physical symptom that might look like shallow breathing or restless sleep or a racing mind or that need to run, like just this weird need to run. Like, I just got to get out of here. I just got to go, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we need an outlet. So desperately we're just kind of acting out in such a way. And so currently, you know, really part of the desire with this book was that when I learned that 77% of our society today expresses physical symptoms mm. of stress, mm-hmm. that's, that's more than three out of four of us. I believe part. it. And so I just was, I, I've written two books around kind of the story of anxiety, um, depression, walking through it, walking from it, walking out of it. And then now what is what does sustained health even look like? It's not like, again, it's not like I've arrived, but I kept getting questions from readers like, okay, no, what can I do? Yeah. Like I need practical steps. And I was joking, Gabe. I was like, I never signed up to be anxiety girl, but it does feel like a practical 
resource for the end of this trilogy would probably <laughs> be a good tool. Should to we make you a little figurine? Anxiety girl. <laughs> now girl of hope. I know. I know. I'm, like, I'm like, I do not claim that identity, but that is part of our story. And, you know, God does allow our pain to become purpose because he does turn things that are hard for good. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And because I'm a chronic oversharer that, you know, has a story she can't shut up about this time around, it was so much driven by a desire to pair science and faith to mm-hmm. really understand our bodies, the way God made us, what we need. Mm-hmm. What, and so I created these four rhythms that I've had to work out myself since that summer I found my freedom back mm-hmm. in 2011. Mm-hmm. So it's been an eight year journey of paring these rhythms down into four simple expressions. Right. And I love what you talk about how they actually work together. And those four yeah. things are what rest, restore, connect and create. Look at you. See, you got it. Got so it. can you I'm tell all- us a little bit about each of those? For sure. I, I'm a fan of alliteration. I wanted it to be something everyone could remember. So rest and restore our input rhythms. It's going to actually be for our replenishment and then mm-hmm. connect and create our output rhythms. It's for our, you know, our, so, so, so rest is our inner life. It's our spiritual health. And it includes chapters like take inventory or tech detox or routines for deep sleep. One is morning routine. One's talking about Sabbath, just basic practical things that we need uh, that we yeah. often ig- ignore. <laughs> Because I think obviously there's different levels of anxiety and depression that should not be dismissed. And it's a good thing to seek medical or psychological guidance if needed. But all of us deal with some level of stress and Mm -hmm. anxiety and fear and all of the things we all do. No one, I mean, I don't know anyone at least that doesn't deal with any of that. And so, like I said, you're providing tools for our tool belt that we can carry along with us everywhere. And that's awesome. Yes. Yes. And then restore is physical health. So once you've got that inner life and that heart soul um, communion with God, like you're getting that first from him. He then says, Hey, take care of your body, like get active, be careful what you put in. I've created good things from the ground for your fuel and your nourishment and your energy. So don't live off of sugar and caffeine and wine. Like, please, you know, know you need good food. So there's a lot of practical things about that, like getting back to play, permission to play, um, take seeking adventure, taking road trips. I think it's bringing you back to who you were even as a kid. Yeah. Like that restorative energy that kids have when they just don't quit. You're like, why does she just want to swim eight hours a day in the pool? How does she even do that? You know, (laughs) kids just don't stop. But part of it is like, we have worn our bodies down. So restore the restore rhythm is all about like seven chapters on different ways you can get your energy back, get your mojo back. Yeah, come on. And then the last two are connect and create. Connect is our relational health. Now that you've been given, you can't give what you haven't received. So now that you've received these input rhythms, the goal is that you would go out over the overflow and that you would invest in the people around. So there's a chapter on marriage, friendship, vulnerability, conflict resolution, um, intimacy. It's just about how do we connect? What do we need? And hospitality is a big one, community. So yeah, just again, output, right? Because we are communal people made by a communal God Mm. who need 
friendship. Like it is in our DNA. And when we do not have it, we will become depressed Mm -hmm. because we're not living actually out who he destined us to be. He says, I'm I'm a communal God. You're made in my image so that you would also be one. Like Mm -hmm. the same spirit in all of my church would be one. And you'll be walking this out tangibly with your people. No, you can't be all things to all people. You don't need to be. Jesus had 12. Yeah. He was God. We don't need to like overthink this and mean like we have to be all things for 300 people. Sure. Find 12 and and make Mm -hmm. sure your family's within that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to not have a ton of people, but make sure the ones that you have invited in and they've invited you in, you show up and you show up for all the things, the high and the low. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last one is create. That's your vocational health. That's just basically I do believe that God has one call for his people to love God, make him known for his glory. But also we have multiple expressions of what that looks like. And that's through birthright gifts from the womb. And it's through burdens that we carry based on our storyline or the things that have broken our hearts. Mm -hmm. And so this is about just making sure you're healthy in your creativity of what you have to offer the world. And some of it is just so paring it back down to simple things like working with your hands or dreaming again, recovering your passion, saying yes, taking a risk, learn something new. Mm-hmm. So I hope the book is full of just real practical, approachable steps. It's not a to-do list. It's an undo list oh, because like everyone's got one strong rhythm. We all have one that's our natural, just healthiest rhythm. In fact, on my website, on the pre-order page, you can take a quiz, find your healthiest rhythm. And then based on the 40 question assessment, you'll get back the ones that you could hear some practical steps to how to improve the other ones. Cause while it's great to have a dominant rhythm, that's okay. If it's too dominant, that means everything else is out of whack, which means you're actually out of rhythm. So you could be killing it at work, Man. but not investing in your friendships, not taking care of your body and not getting time with yeah. God. Uh, and so when that happens, you will still burn out. You will still have that inner void, that stress, that anxiety, because you're not living this holistic picture that God planned and purposed for each of us. Yes. And like you said, God said, love him with all your heart, your soul, your body, your mind, your strength. I think I've missed one or added one in there, but you know, you get the picture. And all this is so biblical. You think of work, you think of rest, you think of relationships, like God tells us how he designed for us to thrive. And so you're taking that and boiling it down. I would love to know what have been like the top practical nuggets that for you have really made a gigantic difference in your life. Well, morning routine for sure. Uh, Take inventory because you have to assess where things are right, wrong, confused, or missing in your life on a meta level every couple years, maybe on an annual level, even a seasonal level, like what needs to shift now that school's in session, whatever. Um, But morning routine is big because it sets the framework for your day. Um, And diet. Honestly, diet has been a big piece for me the last two years. Just saying no to things that would make me want to crash at 3 p.m. I'm just like, I can't have my kids coming home at school and me wanting to crawl in bed. That's not the right time to be doing that. I'm not stewarding. And this isn't a hand slap to anybody because trust me, I'm preaching to the choir right here. Mm -hmm. We have a X amount of years to steward with our kids. And I didn't, I wasn't giving them my best. I was giving them just like adrenal fatigue basically. And so I had to get serious about way I was eating, when I was eating sugar, how much caffeine I was limiting. Um, and so just things like that then made me feel well enough to want to create and want to connect. We got to start with the input rhythms. If we start with the output rhythms, a lot of people are awesome at them, but if you do not go back to the foundation, you will burn out because you're going to be operating from fumes that are not being replenished. Yes. 
Well, Rebecca, this has been amazing. And I have one final question for you. For those right now who are just really in the trenches of anxiety, of stress, of depression, who they feel like right now, I am at the end of the rope. Like there feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. What would you tell them? Well, I would start with tell someone because a lot of times that is a lie that you're at the end. You're not at the end, but you feel alone in it. And so there's shame that comes with it. So find someone and tell them, I feel like I'm at the end. And I just need to say this out loud to you for accountability so that you'll remind me that this is not the end because we need to cry out for help when it's time. I think sometimes we, we just hold it in. And I remember texting a friend a year and a half ago. I was, I was taking a bath and kind of dozed out and I was like kind of staring and I was like, I feel sad and I think I'm going into depression and I need to tell someone. I had talked to my husband a bit at this point. I was like, I need to tell a friend. I text a friend, I go, hey, um, I'm not in a good place right now and I would love for you to pray for me and maybe we could meet like tomorrow. Like do that, start there. That's good. You are not alone. Because part of that depression is stemmed from loneliness and isolation. So reach out and tell someone. And then when you do that, ask that person for accountability to say, hey, let's just take one day at a time. I'm not going to be a burden. I'm not going to try to drain all your time. But if you could pray for me and pray with me, maybe a text check-in each day, um, that will get me going and know that I'm not alone in this. I love that. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. I'm so grateful for you to have me today. guys, thank you again for joining us. It truly means so much. We're so honored you're here. And like Rebecca said, you are not alone. We will link Rebecca's books, podcasts, and everything else in the conversation notes. And I also want to remind you in keeping with the theme of mental health to go back and listen to Molly Allen's powerful story from last week, choosing life when things get dark. Well, women ask me all the time, what can we do to help to spread the word about the messy table? And the answer is super simple. If you listen, if you're grateful for these conversations in any way, please feel free to share, share with a friend, share on social media, tag some of your favorite women. You can subscribe in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. You can even leave a review for us on iTunes, which doesn't take long or seem like much, but it actually makes a huge difference in the visibility helps women from all over find these encouraging conversations. And plus, we just love hearing from you and appreciate every single comment. And last but not least, there's Instagram. You can find us at The Messy Table Podcast and join the conversation. Well, as you head back into your world and into your week, there's one thing we really want you to remember. And that is that yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.